We're back with the NES experience. Thanks for tuning in and make sure to like and subscribe to our podcast. We are recording this at 10 o'clock at night, April 6th. Uh, Final Four just wrapped up a couple days ago and baseball season starts tomorrow. Uh, Yankees Red Sox on Friday and today we are going to be talking about college strength and conditioning but before we do uh ned your dog is uh has an appetite for for interesting things has your dog eaten anything recently uh he has eaten three um of the podcast outlines uh in the past hour so my printer is getting extra work uh he is currently running at full speed into his crate, <clears throat> bouncing off and thinking it's, I don't know, entertaining. And he's also gnawing on every aspect of the crate and trying to rip it all apart. And when he's not doing that, he's eating all the lawn scrapings in the yard and then throwing them back up in the house and shitting in the house and pissing in the house. I mean, he's really cute. Uh, did he eat something of your daughter's, maybe? Oh, he actually did eat Mila's homework last night. So, whoever says that's a lie, that's, or it's made up, nope, legitimately ate the homework. There you go. That's a good dog. Uh, so, yeah, today is college strength and conditioning. The reason we're kind of doing this, uh, back when I was in college used to go and throw with some of my receivers and a few of the things they would say just kind of thought it was interesting just stuck in my mind that they were kind of the strongest and fastest that they had been in their senior year of high school going into their freshman year of college just kind of I thought that was interesting because a lot of people think that when you get to college you're going to just get so much stronger so much faster but it just seems like that's not really the case and then I know talking with you uh, you've kind of experienced kind of the same things and just kind of how they're not really developing their athletes. So I know you used to, uh, you know, about 20 years ago, you were at Purdue. Did you do any kind of work with their strength and conditioning program? What kind of stuff were they doing to kind of develop their athletes then? Um, so I worked with uh, women's basketball men's basketball, tennis, volleyball, um, a little bit with football, but mostly your Olympic sports. Um, At the time, I mean, most of my experience was working with, you know, geriatrics and personal training and corporate fitness. So that was my first, you know, outside of 18 years old, it was my first true experience working with athletes. And I didn't know any better. So I just assumed, you know, oh, it's the Big Ten and you know, it's nice facilities and it's going to be, I mean, it has to be good because it's Purdue and they're never going to hire somebody who's not the best or, you know, one of the elite. You always assume that the quality of the program directly would correlate with the quality of the staff. Um, so when I was there, it was, I mean, wild. It was, you know, every guy would put, or they would put 225 on the bar and everybody would back squat. Some guys would get, you know, three. Some guys would get 20. They put 185 on the bench. You know, some guys would get one. Some guys would get 15. And they just, the the weights didn't move. They just moved through stations of a 225 clean, a 185 bench, and a 225 squat. 
And then the fourth category or the fourth circuit was auxiliaries, leg extensions, leg curls, calf raises, general like gym, planet fitness nonsense. <clears throat> so for me, I just assumed that's the way that it was. And, you know, I did my job. I spotted and I cleaned and I motivated and, um, you know, into some capacity, they were pretty good about letting us get in there and, you know, help more than a lot of places now. But, um, that was what I, what I was exposed to first. So I assumed, because if you don't know anything else, I assume that was the best or not the best, but you know, high level training. And that's how it was. There was no thought process. It was just like, I'm going here. I don't know anything. Um, and then I watched what happened and I assumed that's what college strength conditioning was. Okay. So yeah, sounds just like a lost circuit training. That sounds a lot, very similar to kind of what I experienced, uh, when I was in college, uh, cleans, I didn't actually clean myself, but I did kettlebell swings. Uh, what kind of changed your opinion? I know you went to IMG after that. Did you kind of learn there are other ways of doing things? Yeah. So I went down, this was 2003, 2003. I did my internship down there and um, I was just exposed to some really brilliant people that are doing, you know, 20 years later, even more brilliant, great things. And, you know, they, they always quiz all the interns. So we're all in the room and they're like going through everybody and everybody's basically reporting the news. Like, what does Purdue do? What is this? What university does that do? And, you know, when they listened to it and they were like, and then they basically were like, all right, well, this is what we do. And, you know, there was formal education. We were educated every day. Um, and when I just started learning about, you know, really, I don't want to say how to do things the right way, but when you have really smart people teaching you and educating you, you know, it, it was, it was research based, you know, science based protocols that, you know, I would, people would come in, they would train for a period of time and they leave and their measurables got better. And they explained the process of doing that. And it was completely different than it was almost borderline the exact opposite of what they were doing at Purdue at the time. And I didn't, I didn't understand it until I was able to, you know, learn that, you know, there's better ways and, and they were behind the curve. And then, um, from there, you know, it started to becoming, I was getting, you know, college athletes, show me your programs. What are you doing? And I developed close relationships with these college athletes and they kind of just go through and say, you know, I did A, B, and C. And then uh, and it's, what is it typically? Bench, squat, deadlift, clean. Everybody, no matter what sport, you lift like a football player. You do the front side of the body. They, you don't do core. Um, everything is on two legs. So single leg strength doesn't matter. It's an auxiliary. Um, and there was a lot of injuries. And there's, you know, kids get hurt, you know, during the training programs. And to me, that's doesn't make sense. That's the exact opposite of what we're trying to do. And it was just deficient in so many areas. And it's, and it was eye opening to hear. And it doesn't matter from the smallest D3 university to the biggest D1 university, you know, what changes is the money that's put into the program and the building and the facilities and all the external things. And to make, you know, recruiting, <clears throat> pop and flashy to keep up with everybody else. So everybody has beautiful facilities, but when it comes to the, you know, the, the coaching staff, the amount of staff, um, 
it's it's not there. The quality's not there. Some things are their their fault and you know out of their control, but some things are controllable. And I don't feel that they're doing all the things that they're supposed to do to get these athletes developed. You know, in the time that they're there, four years is a long time. Yeah, and like going back to the very beginning, four years is a very long time, and I feel that a lot of people feel that their time in college is kind of spent doing a lot of damage control, accounting for a lot of injuries that, you know, you had in high school coming in and they just don't get better that you sustain in college. And then really, I I remember we had guys that, you know, would get injured and stuff like that. You can lose your position and you can lose your job for that. Like I did for a period of time. A lot of people do. That's just what happens in college. So there's an incentive to try and like fight through that and stuff. And I think uh, it's it's just very strange that you think four years is an extremely long period of time. You'd want to be able to improve. And I know by a lot of people's senior year, I know by mine, it feels just like the wheels have just completely fallen off. So, I mean, injuries is one of the biggest things. And um, I have, and the last time we talked about this, I had way too many examples and stories. But to give you one, um, I mean, the goal is for athletes you know, if they're injured, get them healthy and get them playing at a higher level. If they're not injured, prevent them from getting injured. Nothing else can happen on the field if you're not on the field. So that you, there is no performance if you're hurt. Um, and what I found is, you know, it is looked at in a negative way to show any sort, you know, you can't give away your hand and you can't say what's really going on because, as you said, the, your job is on the line. So they the way that they develop the team is basically treating everybody the same and you know that's not it just it doesn't work that's not what's best for the for the athlete you know i'm never going to do you shouldn't be doing they're doing exercises that are making them that hurt pain is a signal that says you know that's you're not supposed to do that and instead of doing the appropriate modifications you know simple stuff like doing a Swiss bar instead of doing, you know, a straight bar. If that may, if it, if their shoulder doesn't hurt doing a Swiss bar bench, but it hurts doing a straight bar bench, we'll do a Swiss bar. But every, there's this uniformity that has to occur and everything has to be basically, you know, everybody's got to plug into the, their whatever system to where you can't make these appropriate adjustments. Now, whether it's the coaches don't want to, or they're too lazy to, or whatever the case is, it's just the injury component. And they make the, if you do get hurt, I had a kid who's at an unnamed D1 university in the Northeast, um, this unnamed university, so his hamstring tightened up, wasn't even pulled hamstring, tight hamstring. And they basically, he was, he's used to a situation where he would normally, normal situation, Hey, Ned, I was running and my hamstring tightened. Okay, so let's, you know, do your standard protocol of, you know, heating it up with light stretching in the beginning. And then we're going to start to, you know, reacclimate the hamstring, get it moving, linear, multidirectional, you know, body weight hamstring exercises to start the, the strengthening. Then we go load bearing, you know, while we're progressing in the weight room, you know, he's moving around it what he can do he can still be out there he can still you know jog jogging at a slow level is part of the recovery process to get blood flow in the area to decrease inflammation 
and then is his hamstring good? Then you go 75%, then you go 100%. It's just the basic treatment of an injury. That's what you're supposed to do because a tight hamstring is a week and a half if you address it the right way and fix it. And what happened to him was he had to get up at 5 a.m. and go to the morning medic workouts and he had to do 20 sets of shoulder press. And he was, and the kid doesn't have great shoulders. <laughs> and he was like, coach, like, my shoulders hurt. He's like, you're going to have shoulder boulders. Like, it, it was punishment because the kid was in medic and it was 5 a.m. and he had a hamstring. So they make the 5 a.m. workouts worse than the real practice because they assume that kids just want to get out of practice so they have to basically go to punishment at 5M. So, so you have these kids that are injured that are playing through their injury on the field because, A, they don't want to lose their spot, and, B, they don't want to go to whatever they call their physical therapy because they make it worse than the practice. They're assuming that all the kids are lazy, and, and the reality of it is all my motivated kids aren't lazy. And you should, you know, if I went to any physical therapist right now, they, they would go through this protocol. And in my opinion, if you're playing at a D1 university, you should be, I mean, if you look at the, the way to handle injuries, if you look at the NFL, Monday, no practice, you know, Tuesday, no practice, Wednesday limited, they're running through, they're going through progressions, they're testing before the game, they're Round the clock. I mean, I know you can't give round the clock treatment and, and use hyperbaric chambers, you know, to rehab a guy to be ready to play twenty four hours and give him IVs when they're whatever and cramping on the. I know we can't go to that level, but it's super simple to find ways to integrate them and get them back into you know the program and get them back up to speed and healthy so they can play. Everybody wants to play. They, they wouldn't be going through the the gauntlet of, of college sports and athletics and the competition and your job's never safe and you're getting the shit kicked out of you. So they want to go through all that, but they're, you know, they're dodging practice and training and they're making up injuries. Get to know your players and you'll see the ones that are lazy and the ones that aren't. And if you just get to have a relationship with your players and start to learn who is motivated and hungry and who is lazy – you won't have this problem and treat them differently. Treat them all fairly, um, but don't treat them equally. It's a case by case situation based off of the relationship. And, you know, this is a lazy guy. Yeah, then give him shoulder boulders and make him do 20, whatever. And that doesn't help the problem. Try and reach the kid and make him more motivated. That's what you should do. But, um, you know, treat and give them the care that they deserve because we know that only 3%. No, it was 7%. Here's us with math and percentages. 7% of high school athletes go on to play uh, D3 or college athletics, and only 2% of those high school athletes become D1 athletes. So you're working with 2% of the population, and you're not, I don't think you're getting the 98th percentile of care that you deserve. No, absolutely. There definitely seems to be a narrative sometimes that, you know, you can be lazy in college and that definitely exists, but it's weird that a lot of coaches just kind of view being hurt as people trying to get out of stuff. Uh, I know my knee hurt while well, I tore my ACL after this happened, but my knee hurt for a while during the off season before I tore my ACL. 
and they tried to give me cortisone shots so I could back squat and I could do everything else fine. It's just getting into that deep squat position was really rough for my knee. And for some reason, they thought that the best way of going about it was to give me cortisone shots in January. So that way I can just, you know, load up on back squat and not have to worry about the pain while I lifted. It didn't really make a lot of sense, so I didn't get the shots. But there's definitely a lot of tension there uh, because of that between me and the training staff and like the strength and conditioning coaches. But it's not like I wanted to back out of the lifts when people get hurt. You know, it usually is pretty tough for them to kind of take a step back and get better so they can kind of keep going forward. But I think one of the reasons why there's a lot of pressure and stuff to be in the weight room and trying to get these numbers is because a lot of people see, I know there's that uh, SB Nation article you sent me a little while back. Uh, I think it was in like 2013, but it's still kind of relevant today that showed uh athletes in their 40 times when they tested at the nfl combine and the majority of them were slower when they were their senior high school they didn't get faster in college they got slower and those measurables and those results are noticeable and i think college coaches see them and they say oh you have to go in the weight room and you have to get better you have to get stronger and there's pressure there but the results aren't happening so, I mean, just in your opinion, I know you have a lot of college athletes that come back and you notice it too. Why aren't the measurables there? Like, they're just kind of not being developed in college. Um, I mean, so some of the things are out of the strength and conditioning coaches' hands and some of them, I believe that, you know, it is things that they can fix. But, I mean, looking at, at, a, lar- at a, you know, larger big university scale i mean hey it's a business and when you are looking at the business the money has to be allocated you know to various aspects of the programs and generally with strength and conditioning there is not a lot of the budget um allocated towards that now the facilities are beautiful but when you look at the coaching staff if you look at what a head football co- and of course the head football coach should make the most amount of money um, but with you, I mean, you could even take it in, even at the NFL level, I mean, your lowest paid coach is your strength coach. So um, now when you look at, you know, the resources that are brought in, so they don't allocate a lot of funding towards this program. Um, so you're limited on how much staff you have. So typical college strength and conditioning, you know, I'm not including your, you know, top 25 schools, but in general, you have a head strength and conditioning coach for football. Uh, assistant strength and conditioning coach you'll have a couple GAs graduate assistants that are um, basically bartering their time and services uh, to fill a position to get a master's degree and then you have a dump load of interns that don't know the rest from their elbow so staffing you know if there's 130 kids on a football team I mean when you're talking about the people that can actually develop and watch you're looking at you know two so there's too many bodies and there's not enough eyes, credible eyes that can actually make sure everything is going on. Because you have so many bodies, they're just that's why they run percentages, very common in college. Um, the problem with percentages is it's you know, there's guys that are stronger at the high end of the percentage and lower end and middle end, and it depends on the day. There's so many variables that 
when you try and, you know, roll, when they roll their system out, the system has to work in, you know, you can't, you can't watch every set. Um, I mean, I would figure it out how to make sure that it was all going on. You could videotape everything, watch it at night. I watch film every night. Um, so staffing and money allocation, not there. Um, there's not time. So, you know, there's usually one, one strength and conditioning facility and 25, 30 teams. They're all sharing space. When you look at college lift sessions, they're an hour. That's high end. COVID, we were getting two 30-minute sessions, one 30-minute session. Um, but the general standard is an hour. How do you get warmed up, go through everything that you need to go through, and cool down? You can't get an hour. There's not enough time for that type of athlete at that level to really get developed, you know, three times a week for an hour. I mean, our sessions are an hour and a half. And, and what's wrapped around those is things to do at home and things to do beforehand. So we have a 90 minutes of meat and potatoes with additional homework three days a week. And then some guys are going four days a week and then all the extra stuff on top of that. So, um, you know, when you look at, you know, from the, the financial component to the time, you know, all of these things are making it very cookie cutter where everybody goes in and it's, and they're kind of looking at everything as a whole you know, a whole team development, but individually, I mean, some guys do get developed. So guys that have never picked up a weight, they go into a college D1 strength and conditioning program, they're going to get stronger. If you've never picked up a weight, you're going to get stronger, you're going to get bigger, you're going to get a response. But then we see year two, three, and four, we see, you know, plateaued. And for your old teammates and for my athletes, guys that really got after it in high school, those are the guys that when they go into the program, they don't get, they don't get a bump in performance. Because they're previously trained, and every year that you train, it's harder to get a response. There's, I mean, we're maximizing genetic code. At some point in time, your genetic code gets tapped. And so I have guys in year nine, and year seven, and year eight, and it's, and you know, there before you could come in in year one, gain 25 pounds, and put, you know, 10 miles on your exit velo or lower your 40 four tenths of a second, you know, lowering a 40 from a five, four to a five, one is easier than lowering it from a four, seven to a four, six. So, um, you know, there's just, there's those things it's hard to control, but you know, what they can control is a, the relationships with their players and b the types of, of exercises that they can do to actually move in a better direction. And what you see with programs too much front side, so they do all chest, quads. It's bench, squat, deadlift, clean, all front side. They completely neglect the back side. They don't do glute and hamstring work outside of auxiliaries and body weight stuff. And for all my guys that have already trained and developed, you know, doing a 135-pound RDL isn't going to get my BC linebacker stronger. Would you agree? A guy that can do three, you've probably seen him do close to 400 pounds. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he was an absolute beast when he was in high school, too. So, yeah, there is definitely a weird uh, mindset where everyone just does the same exact lift, same exact thing. And, you know, you can't really be having your offensive lineman do the same thing as your running backs or a guy who can, you know, just lift the absolute house, do 135 RDL that just makes no sense. 
There is the component of, yes, everybody doing the same type of exercise, but even if everybody's doing the same type of exercise, you have to load a bar and, uh, to, and overload to get a response. So, you know, he should know that, you know, part of coming in, it's like, did you train anywhere formally? Have you never picked up a weight? You, I mean, there should be enough, you can do it. You should be doing assessments on everybody. It can be five minutes and learn what the kids are doing, what they have done or what they haven't done. And the farther you move along in the process and then assuming you have a motivated kid, you know, there should be, it should be a relationship, not a dictatorship, which is what I've said before. And you don't get that. So, you know, the, they, they neglect the backside of the body. They don't do back outside of a dumbbell, one arm row. And then they'll do, they'll surround it with nine pushes, incline bench, military press, flat press, push press. Everything on the sheets is press, press, press. And then, you know, they, they do, they're always going heavy. And, you know, they do repetitive exercises. You don't have to do cleans every day. Your body, your central nervous system, which is what benefits from, you know, doing power and it's a speed of movement thing. I mean, you need 48 to 72 hours in between there. And when you do cleans every day, you know, the catch with the cleans, everybody's got to do the catch. It's like they're not, you know, oh, you got wrist issues and shoulder issues. You have to catch it because everybody catches it because what is this, the military? Um, so between going heavy, repetitive, I had a kid, he just retired from college football, uh, back squat Monday, front squat Tuesday, back squat Thursday, front squat Friday, or uh, hamstring zero. So, I mean, if you, it, I mean, if you think that, Four pushes and zero pulls is a, is a rock solid, and everything is all length. So he's the front squatting. He's cleaning every day. You know he's doing. He's not an Olympic weightlifter. He's not a a, a powerlifter. He's a football player, and it's dis, it destroyed his shoulders and destroyed his knees. And part, then the reason why he part of the reason why he's going into retirement is because of that. And in high school, he had you know we managed it. It was. He didn't do, he wasn't, we picked our spots. I mean, there's other ways to develop an athlete. It doesn't have, there's other things to do to get your legs stronger than a back squat. And they don't look past that. We do heavy loaded single leg, which is way more beneficial and it transfers over better from a speed perspective. Um, and if they do, if you do stand on one leg, it's some bullshit body weight, super low weight, three sets of five, um, you know, bullshit that doesn't do anything. So, you know, too high a volume, too heavy, repetitive exercises, um, no progression, core is basically neglected. Um, you don't see, a, you know, in 60 minutes. You can only put so much in 60 minutes. I know why they're doing it because it's like, man, we got 60 minutes and we have to do meat and potatoes. And, you know, I'm all about meat and potatoes. But, you know, at some point in time, you got to spice it up and, throw in, you know, maybe an appetizer, maybe some dessert, um, you know, some, can we get some more stuff on the plate? Then figure it out. I don't, then, and if you can't get the time for labor to get more time, the system's broke. So um, even, but I, you know, if I stepped into a college strength conditioning session, I guarantee you I could figure out a program in 60 minutes. It's beneficial that gets the kids farther along where they need to be. And that doesn't involve squatting five days a week and cleaning five days a week. It's just, it's overkill. Um, 
and then no, they don't do corrective exercises because there's not enough time. So, you know, I have college pitchers that don't do arm care. You know, that's not rocket science. Um, at this point in time, we we've came so far with social media and you know education that you know it's you, to have a baseball player is not continuously doing you know mobility, flexibility, wrist, forearm stuff. Um, you know, scap strengthening, rotator cuff work. To, to, it's a, to not do that, to me, it's malpractice because guys are blowing their arms out. I inherit all these college kids and these college pitchers. It's Tommy John after rotator cuff, after, you know, sh- severe shoulder impingements. And these guys are getting hurt in the weight room, and they're getting hurt by not getting, A, the treatment, or B, the development that they need. And to me, that's bullshit. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I obviously don't have the background that you do. I'm just kind of, you know, well, I'm a NARP now, uh, but, you know, obviously played in college and high school and stuff. The workouts that I did when I came to you or even workouts that I did just outside of school were always so much more well-rounded. It was kind of tough to get a lot of uh, response when we went to like school workouts just because a lot of the times it would be 45 minutes an hour you know they would fit it I played d3 so they would try and fit it around our class schedules and stuff like that and you know it's I I understand it as well but it's really tough to get in that development when I really when I came to you and we actually supplemented those lifts and stuff like that with a little bit of uh, things to do kind of at night um, you know two three times a week so I could kind of get well-rounded workout uh i really kind of started seeing a response but it was it was pretty the the workouts were noticeably different from uh you know going with you and and doing them in college i think we had like 30 guys 35 guys sometimes and that's just way too many i know you're when we work out at your facility you know it's it's 10 people at the max usually you know sometimes it'll get a little bit a little bit larger than that sometimes a little less but that's about a good number it's about you know, seeing if, even if you are back squatting, you know, are people, is someone looking at what you're doing? Are you loading one leg more than the other? That's kind of, you know, the coaching that you need when you do reps and stuff. And that doesn't happen a lot of the times at, at that level. So if, if you just want to take the back squat, cause everybody knows that, you know, if, when you're watching that, cause believe it or not. So that's why when people call me a personal trainer, I get pissed off and the kids all know that, Oh, my trainer, Ned, and I just don't take it personal, but I mean, I'm a coach. Part of being a coach is, you know, analyzing a movement and, and giving feedback. It's called coaching. Um, so when you look at the back squat, there's a lot of things that could go on. So I'm going to go through in my head really quick, you know, from a front view, side view, just some things. So you brought up, you could shift left or right. So you could just you're going to load your dominant side typically. So what happens doing heavy back squats or doing a lot of squatting double leg movements is you're going to generally be dominant on one side or the other because of the nature of your sport or just being handedness. So left-handed people, I'm left-handed. Believe it or not, I'm left leg and left arm dominant. Then when I go into these double leg and double arm motions, I end up loading the left leg more. And the more you load your dominant leg, and then this changes also. If an injury occurs, you're going to have 
you know, an opposite thing happens. So you're going to start to load the opposite side. But when you're always loading one side, it makes one side tighter. You know, the tight muscles are pulling on the joints and it's pulling everything out of alignment. And the end result of being out of an alignment for an extended period of time is some sort of injury. Um, you know, the, the feet should be a specific way, generally straight, not with the toes turned out. Um, when they're going through, you have to make sure their heels on the ground. If the heels come off the ground, there's, you know, bad things happen typically, which means you go excessive knee dominant. Um, your, to get any glute activation out of back squatting, you have to have your full foot on the floor. Um, and, you know, the knees could come in. If the knees are coming in, now your ankle, knee, and hip aren't in alignment. And if, and if that's occurring, why is that happening? Well, it's because your glutes and your hamstrings are weak. So, you know, the knees can come in, the knees can come out, the toes can turn in, they can come out, the foot can cave. Um, that's all from a front view. Then you're looking at a side view. You know, what's the depth that you want? You go into college training and conditioning, ass to grass. All right, well, all right, what if that hurts your knees? Ass to grass. Great. Uh, what if you don't have the flexibility or mobility? Ass to grass. So the, the right answer is, you know, there's a depth that you're trying to achieve. Of course, we're trying to achieve, you know, parallel. That's kind of the base. But some people can't do it based off of their imbalances and um, whatever that's going on in their body. Now, are they going knee dominant? Are they going hip dominant? Are they a neutral squatter? And then there's the depth issues. You don't need to, you know, there's very few sports that need to produce force ass to grass, so to give you an idea, you know, wrestling, jujitsu, um, or mixed martial arts, you know, rugby, you know, depending on your position. So there are times when you need to be, be able to produce, you know, from that super low. But when you look at running mechanics and, and moving around, generally people aren't moving much more than, you know, the parallel, that 90-90 hip angle. Um, you know, head position... Um, and then bar path. I mean, there's 10 things to look at. And what should have be happening is they should check boxes. Are their toes straight? Are their hips in alignment? Are they getting appropriate depth? If not, you know, does it cause any pain when they do it? If, if you, if you squat and it hurts, then, then you stop squatting and then you switch to a dumbbell split squat. And that works the quads like the back squat does. And it transfers over better because it's off of one leg. And because you're on one leg, you're going to that weaker leg or the overdominant leg works a little bit less. You load according to the weaker leg. And then eventually the weaker leg or the weaker leg catches up. So you start to get an equal strength from your left side to your right side. And that's called fixing problems, not creating them. I'm still strengthening the muscle. I guarantee you my thigh is at thigh block and I'm getting the depth. Why am I getting the depth? Because I'm taking my back knee all the way to the ground. And every time I push off, I'm guaranteed to be at parallel. So now I'm achieving the depth that I need. I'm strengthening the muscle that I need to strengthen. I am not causing lower back tightness or stress on my knees. Um, we're, all, we're all winning here. See how easy that is? I just broke it down for you. If the squat doesn't work for your college athlete, have them split squat. Have them single leg Bulgarian or elevated split squat. Um, they can deadlift, even though a deadlift is for starting strength and a back squat, unless you're pushing off a of box isn't for starting strength. But my point is they could do a dumbbell slow-controlled step-down. They could do lateral step-ups. You know, use dumbbells. I can give you five different things to get the same activation 
that don't involve back squatting. Sorry for the rant, but if anybody cares about back squatting, uh, you know, there are some of the things that you want to look for and or not do anymore if it bothers you. Yeah, that makes sense. What other kind of things do you think they can kind of do to improve just, you know, the just developing their athletes in college? I you, Four years is a long time. You think you'd want to be able to see some results and stuff like that in, in your time there and not just have all your measurables dip down. So I was at a prep school combine and I was speaking with a lot of the head football coaches out there. And what they told me was that they are terrified when their kids basically go home for summer because they are worried about them completely falling apart and, you know, basically hanging out and not doing anything and then not coming back ready for camp. And that mindset to me is a little unsettling because if I was that coach, I would be going to the individual players and saying, what is, you know, everybody gets a summer packet. And the summer packet, to give you an idea from a D1 university that I got, 76% or so of the exercises came from the Arnold Schwarzenegger Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding. So the, uh, in my opinion, part of the problem is you're just handed a sheet and you're like, yeah, go do that. And the new thing is they have this whatever app that tracks everything and you're supposed to log in, write your weights down, it clocks when you start the workout, when you stop the workout. And it's just all they do is they pick exercises out of this database randomly. It's like, oh, let's do bing, 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 bing. And then they touch 10 things and then they put it and they're like, do that. So I don't think there's, there's, there's not a lot of follow-up there's no communication. I've had zero coaches. I've had zero college training. I've been here for 20 years. I've trained, you know, I would say 20 UConn football players. And I've never had any coach reach out to me except one time to threaten to kick a kid off the team because of he was promoting the physical therapist that had to work on him uh, anytime that he wasn't at UConn because of the damage that his strength coach and the general sport and lack of treatment, you know, happened. So um, I think part of it is the lack of desire or caring to really try and follow up with these kids and reach out. A lot of these kids have trainers and they're not all terrible. I mean, if you're worried about the kid falling apart after the summer, then uh, reach out to him. What are you doing? You know, send me videos. Any college, any, any college sport coach can go to my Instagram and they can, within, you know, two minutes, they can do, get an attendance report. So we, we tag every athlete. And you can watch, you know, David Spitz. Our, he's a wide receiver that goes to Harvard, uh, a DB, DB wide receiver. And you can watch him work out and verify that he worked out on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 5 to 6.30 from the day that he gets home until the day that he leaves. And you'll get to see him PR, and you'll get to see him do running mechanics and mobility and flexibility, and you get to see his body transform and change. All you got to do is go to NES underscore sports underscore performance 
and from your phone and you just go to Ned and then you click, click, click seven times and then there's your boy David Spitz. All right, Spitz worked out today. And nobody uses this as a resource. Nobody cares. They don't care, Tay. They don't care. Yeah, I know that was a, a big fear. I, I, I experienced that as well. You know, I was told, uh, you know, accomplish certain things and stuff like that in the summer. And uh, the one time I was with you, it was, it was very easy. The other times, it you know, obviously can be tough when you don't know what you're doing. But there was no follow up or anything like that. Um, I'm not positive they're, they're afraid allowed to or not. I, well, yeah, that too. But it's also it's we do live in a, a very uh, technological driven era. You know, you're you're right. You can just very easily look them up on social media and, and see if they're actually getting in their workouts or seeing if they're kind of sneaking in a, an extra burger and fries and doing the things that they're not supposed to. So it's it it really kind of does seem to be boiling down to a, a lack of either understanding or caring or just a, a lack of a knowledge uh and that at it, it's just noticeable i know you notice it in your athletes in college you know when they experience their strength and conditioning programs it's not great. I know a lot of people think that you go to college and you get developed. That's a whole thing. You know, you'll pack on a lot of weight. You'll get stronger and faster. But that, a lot of the times it just seems that you get, uh, for me, I know I just got bigger. It wasn't great. But the only time I actually improved my numbers and stuff was after we kind of got linked up and, you know, my bench went up. All that kind of stuff went up when we tested. But that was really it. A big thing also, and I kind of tapped on it, was it's the lack of relationship between the strength coach and the athlete. So it's getting to know the individuals, finding out who's motivated, and listening to them, you know, coach, this hurts, or, you know, it's not, I don't expect the athletes to be able to run the show and do whatever they want, but, you know, simple things of modifications and, you know, if they reach out and they wanted, you know, extra time or extra help, College athletes don't feel comfortable going to their strength coach because, I, and a lot of mine do, and generally it turns into you're lazy or, you know, we're doing it this way. They, everything, and these kids, these coaches must hate my kids because my kids quiz them. Like, what well, coach, why are we doing this? And then it, it's this wrong answer or bad answer. Um, they don't know what they're doing, and and they, they're not even good enough at selling it to the kid. Now, you can sell whatever you want to somebody that doesn't know, and they're going to believe it. But part of training here is learning about the body. I am basically – I'm exercise physiology class for my kids, and I break it down. I'm like, you, you want to Google it if you don't believe me? I got books if you want to read some books. And they've been through it, so they understand. It starts to make sense. You know, I have kids that, since we're talking about meathead shit like uh, back squatting, we'll talk about benching. So if you, I have routinely have high school kids that bench, meaty benched 18 reps at 225 as a freshman in high school. And BP, Billy Porto, who went to Amherst, um, he was in high school and he did 23 reps. There's guys at the NFL Combine that didn't do 23 reps. And what both of these guys had in common is all they would do is barbell bench. And 
you know, and it's not like they came in and they were doing, you know, seven reps or I'm sorry, 17 reps and they got up to 20. Like they came in, BP came in and did 10 reps. And then if I, after I had him for a season, he was, you know, up to 18 and then another off season, he's up to 23. I mean, these are big gains. This project, if I had BP for four years to develop him, he would be, you know, and it's not all about the bench press, but I'm just giving an example. Um, so that's one. And then Meaty. Meaty is one of the new generation of social media kids. And he's somebody that he did barbell bench all the time. And when we started putting, having him do dumbbells. And so there was this whole wave. There was like a, there was a three-year period when I was at the Valley Batting Cage. We didn't have squat racks and we didn't have barbell benching. So it was literally, it was bench and dumbbell. So all these kids trained for this long-ass block of time. And they, the only time they would bench press is when they either went to camps or when they went to their high school testing day. And, you know, Spitz, the Harvard kid, 14 reps at 225 um, in high school. And if you look at all these guys, AJ, you know, he was 17 to 20. These are all high school. I mean, the kids that I'm telling you, Spitz was 175 pounds doing 225 for 14 reps. AJ was, you know, 220 doing it for 20 reps. BP was, it's not like BP was 370 pounds. He was 260 pounds, which almost puts him at the NFL level like a tight end doing 23 reps at the age of 17 years old. And what they all had in common is nobody, nobody barbell benched. And a lot of my new guys don't understand why and it's just i mean it's it's hard to do dumbbells you get more recruitment and you know i'm not even smart enough it doesn't matter my job isn't to know physiologically why exactly what i know is that the less that we barbell bench and same thing with deadlifting so i see people all the time they'll deadlift you know, CrossFit is perfect for this. They they get their fucking posts every goddamn day and on their fucking two and a half pound PRs. Um, and it's like, damn, uh, you you do that shit every goddamn day and you're moving up like two and a half, five pounds and they aren't even good numbers. It takes you a year to move up 20 pounds. So with our deadlifts, we deadlift. A, we don't even do it the whole season. We do it for the preseason, for the three months for the season. And my guys jump you know, 75 to 125 pounds, not deadlift, only deadlifting 12 weeks out of the year, once every 10 days. And I have all those same guys. They all, not that it's all about deadlifting. This is a measure of strength. And they all deadlift five to 700 pounds. And we do it once every 10 days. So there's other ways to get people good. They Everybody thinks like, I got to do the same damn thing every day. And, and we're just moving in the wrong direction. So then all my strong-ass kids go to college, and then, you know, unfortunately, Spitz can't do 14 bench reps right now. He's been in college for three years. It's the, number, the, the number isn't even sustained. The number is lower. It doesn't make sense. All of them, everything is lower. My kids are the strongest, and it routinely comes back. Unless they have a hormonal boost, AKA man strength. So some kids like spring up an inch in, you know, in college um, and, and fill out a little bit, but there's just, there's just nothing there. Their forties go down. Same thing. I have this, that research article or that article that popped up 
that you read, and that that's the reason why I started trying to look into it a little bit more because you know I have all the numbers. All we we're in a numbers world. Everything is verified. If I have a kid that's a four four nine, and then he goes through four years of college and he's a four six nine, I don't even. I mean, you should be able to maintain speed. All one is maintain. If he would have maintained his speed, he would be in the NFL right now, and he's not in the NFL because. He he his bench went down thirty pounds in four years. Not that it's all about benching. His squat went down sixty pounds in four years. Not that it's all about squatting. But I can say that with ten other examples. And the big thing is where your you know where you where you your bills are paid is your forty. And he got and he got slower. Do you think he was getting to UConn? Oops. Do you think he was getting a full ride from UConn with a four six nine? Do you know any hundred and eighty five pound running backs? That are getting one A offers with the four six nine. No, no, I really don't. Probably only a few out there, if that. Then how did I mean? All right, so you're telling me this kid was a four six nine going into UConn, and he ended up second all time in the history of all purpose yards, in the history of the school for college football. Scored I don't know twenty thirty forty touchdowns, uh, senior year caught for almost a thousand yards at the running back position um and go look at his highlight tape arkel newsom go check out his college highlights watch the highlights from the beginning to the end look at how fast he was his freshman year you can watch the film and you can watch him move and you'll see year by year him get slower and watch how he takes contact and how much stronger he is. He runs over people his freshman year. He You can physically see the film, and it's not work ethic. Kid works his ass off. He worked his ass off. Nothing. Yeah, I mean, it are groups and stuff like that. You know, it's consistent training. They're doing it's 90-minute workouts, you know, sometimes two hours in that range and stuff. And, you know, a lot of the times in college, it just seems like the workouts are – are more of like a mental toughness thing than they are to actually improve your your speed and and strength. I mean, there is something to be said for mental toughness and stuff, but at at a certain point, when you're at a certain level, you should be able to motivate yourself to put in the work to just not, you know, to win, but also there's a pride sense of just not wanting to get embarrassed. And it is extremely hard when you're fighting that uphill battle of, you know, now you're not able to be performing at your peak. You're tired. You're overtrained. You're doing all this other, you know, crazy stuff and doing 5 a.m. workouts. And you're asked to go out and compete. It's it's just, uh, you know, a very hard thing to try and do. So, I mean, as we kind of wrap this one up, is there any kind of thing you want to end on? Um, yeah, it's it's. We all are working towards a common goal. So the kid is trying to, or the athlete is trying to play at their highest level, reach their dreams, whether it's making it to college, making it to the pros. And I'm on the same page. I want them to get developed. and This isn't an ego thing. I want you to bring them back better. Because if you bring them back better, and then I have them, and then I make them, and then we just always get better. And if you're doing your job on your end, Everyone's winning because if they make it to the pros, you were a part of the process. I was a part of the process. They were part of the, everybody's part of the process. The goal is to 
to improve performance. So, you know, it's not that I, I you know, I'm jealous of them or my ego and I'm thinking, it's, I, I'm all about when somebody comes back, it's less work for me if they're, if they come back level. Like, I spend so much time getting them back to where they need to be because of what they lost when they were gone that it minimizes the upside on extra, you know, development that I can do because there's always, a, it's just a period of time to getting them. It's always, they come back and we get them to where they're at and then a little bit on top and then they lose it again. It's just every year they come back and we're always trying to get to our high school, our senior in high school days, you know. Um, uh, I don't want it like, nobody wants it like that and they shouldn't want it like that. So we should all be working together um, to get them where they need to be because I believe whether no matter what level, um, it's it's an honor and it's a privilege and they should be proud of the fact that, you know, they became the 7% or the 2%. And they just, in my opinion, need to be able to given or be given the the tools that they need to get them where they need to go. So that's about it. Yeah, absolutely. That'll do it for this episode. Uh, thanks for listening. Make sure to like and subs- like and subscribe to our podcast. Uh, we'll be back next time. We'll be doing it remotely for uh, from now on, with uh, with some video clips uploaded on YouTube. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.